general election in nearly 100 years. Uh, preachers all over the country, preachers like me, haven't had such a ready-made introduction for their cow service talk for a century. And uh, so I'm not probably going to get the same opportunity again, so I'm going to make the most of it. So let me ask you a question. How are you feeling just three days after our general election? What were you feeling at 10 o'clock on Thursday night or when you woke up on Friday morning? Were you excited because the side that you backed won? Were you dismayed and despondent because the side you backed didn't win? Or perhaps like many, many people up and down the country, you just felt a little bit indifferent to it all. My guess is there's a whole range of different emotions here this evening. But I suspect that we've all got one thing in common, and that is that none of us put all our trust, all our confidence for the future in those 650 MPs who were elected on Thursday nights. If I'm wrong and you do, there is free counselling available <laughs> afterwards. This evening, I want to spend a little bit of time trying to convince you that Christmas is the news of a government that is really worth trusting. It is news of a government that is worth getting really, really, really excited about. And we're going to do that by looking at these words uh, from Luke's Gospel. Um, as Alice said, everyone's got a copy of that um, on, their, uh, on their seat. And I think you'll find it helpful uh, to follow along. We're going to be looking at the accounts of Jesus' birth, which is on um, page 6. Let me begin uh, to read from that. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. First thing Luke, who's the author of this book, wants us to understand is that Christmas is historically certain. Christmas is historically certain. A December general election is pretty unusual, but if you look in the history books, all the way back to 1923, you'll find that the British Empire covered nearly a quarter of the planet. King George V was king, and Stanley Baldwin was prime minister. It, if you check out the facts, you'll find that it really happened. And Luke begins his account of that first Christmas by appealing also to the history books. He tells us that the Roman Emperor is Caesar Augustus, and that he wants to count all of his citizens. And other historians tell us that this emperor did that at least three times. And then Luke zooms in on a local official called Quirinius. But here we might hit a little bit of a snag, because other, an, a, another important historian who wrote around the same time as Luke tells us that Quirinius didn't become governor of Syria until 6 AD. Now that's about 10 years after Jesus was born. So we might sit there and scratch our heads and think, how does this add up? This year, like most years, there's bound to be something in the newspapers or a TV show that will say the Christmas story just doesn't work. It's not historically right. And they might point to passages like this, and uh, we might sit there thinking, well, maybe the whole Christian faith is built on a myth. Let me suggest that we don't jump to conclusions too quickly. Because what Luke writes here can also perhaps indicate that Quirinius was an important official when Jesus was born, and then he became governor of Syria later on. Or it could also indicate that someone else started the census and that Quirinius was governor, the governor who finished it. After all, we all know um, from recent history that political projects can take a lot longer than expected. So maybe this census took longer 
than expected a long period of time. When we look at the Bible carefully, we'll discover that the Bible is rooted in history, reliable history. And Luke continues to make that point as he zooms in even further from the great emperor who wants to count all his people to an ordinary man doing the emperor's bidding. Verse 3. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now my parents recently moved away from the village that I grew up in. It was my childhood home, but I suspect I will never go back. There's nothing to go back to. But life didn't work like that for the Jewish people. You see, Bethlehem is Joseph's ancestral home. It's where perhaps the family lands are. So it's where the Romans want him to go because it's where they're going to tax him. So Joseph heads off home and he goes there, verse 5, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Joseph could probably have left Mary um, back in Nazareth because the Romans were probably only interested um, in counting the men in those days. Uh, but Joseph takes Mary along with him. Why does he do that? Well, probably because, as another Bible account tells us, Mary's pregnancy would have been a major scandal, and Jesus, uh, Joseph wants to keep Mary out of the public eye. So there's two different Bible accounts of Jesus' birth matching up. Can you see that the story of Christmas is real people living real lives at a real time? It's historically reliable. And we see that even as we arrive at Christmas night, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Well, it doesn't look like much of a Christmas card, does it? There are no cattle lowing, there's no little donkey, there's no stable, there's no grumpy innkeeper, there isn't even an inn. But let me suggest that what Luke writes here is actually much more true to life than what we might see on a Christmas card. Remember that Joseph is from Bethlehem. So it seems likely, I think, that Joseph goes to Bethlehem and he knocks on the door of a cousin's house. And the cousin says to him, hey, we don't have the guest room available because someone is already there. You stay in the family room. Now, in those days, the family room in those Middle Eastern houses had an area at the front of it, or just a step or two down, where, that, where they brought the animals in for the night. It was warm because of the heat of the animals. So the family perhaps made room for Joseph and Mary um, in that family room. It would have been typical of Middle Eastern hospitality of the time. It's not a fairy tale Christmas card picture. It's real life. Have you ever thought that Christmas could be historically reliable? Or is t Christmas to you just a bit of a Christmas card, just a bit of a myth? Well, Christmas is historically reliable, but there's more to Christmas than that. Christmas is also undeniably supernatural. Christmas is undeniably supernatural. Uh, I'm going to read on from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
Well, in case you missed the recent uh, BBC adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, let me just bring you up to speed. It is basically the story of man-eating Martians invading the world. It's pretty simple. Uh, but the ordinary, unsuspecting residents of Woking, which just happens to be where the Martians land, don't really believe it at first. But over the course of the first episode or two, they begin to realise, hey, this thing is real. These man-eating Martians have turned up in Surrey. Well, 2,000 years ago, you couldn't get much more ordinary and unsuspecting than shepherds. But things quickly became very extraordinary for them, as Bethlehem, not Woking, became the scene of an extraterrestrial invasion. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Well, perhaps some of us here this evening think this is where it starts to get a little bit silly. Aren't angels in the same kind of category as man-eating, Martians, sci-fi, silliness? Well, if the universe is simply made up of the physical stuff we can see through a telescope or examine under a microscope, then maybe that's the case. But what if, what if it's at least hypothetically possible that there is a God a uh, 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 something bigger than this universe that we can see and examine. Something fundamentally different to the things we can touch and see. Can I ask you this evening, if you're not yet convinced about the Christian faith, are you at least open to that possibility? That there is something supernatural? Because Christmas doesn't make sense without it. The Bible is unashamed to say that Christmas was a moment in history when God invaded the world. It is undeniably supernatural. By the way, whenever angels turn up in the Bible, people don't coo over them like we do when our children dress up as angels in school nativity plays. People cower in fear because angels are absolutely terrifying. Maybe some of us felt a little bit terrified when we saw the result of the exit poll at 10 o'clock on Thursday night. Maybe some of us still are feeling a little bit terrified. But this angelic messenger does not come to terrify the shepherds. He doesn't come to tell them news of another human government that is going to disappoint people in the end. This is what he says. Have a look. This is amazing. Verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Christmas is undeniably supernatural and historically certain, but most wonderfully of all, Christmas is good news from God that changes everything. Christmas is good news from God that changes everything. The announcements of our new government over the next few days and weeks will disappoint some people, excite other people. They will be a mix of good news and bad news. But the announcement made by this Christmas angel was the best news the world has had ever heard and will ever hear, because it is news of an eternal government that brings perfect safety, perfect joy, perfect peace. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There is a world of difference, isn't there, between happiness and joy. Happiness is that kind of fleeting feeling that comes and goes through the ups and downs of life. Joy is totally different. It is a deep, unwavering foundation that's found inside our hearts for life. 
And Christmas offers to free us from that disorienting pursuit of happiness and give us perfect, satisfying joy for life instead. Why can Christmas do that? Well, because of what the angel says next. Look down at verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Well, our earlier um, readings and carols spoke of God's promise to send a, a Messiah, a king, a promised king, into his world. Uh, those carols and readings spoke of how that king was going to be descended from Israel's greatest king, King David, and how he was going to be born in, in King David's town, Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem. And on that first Christmas day, just outside Bethlehem, the angel said, God has kept the promise. God has kept the promise that he made hundreds, hundreds of years before to send a saviour king. Well, depending on our own political persuasion, we look to different politicians to save us from all sorts of different things. But they all disappoint us in the end, and they can't save everyone. Jesus is a saviour who brings lasting salvation, unbreakable salvation for everyone. But what is it that he saves us from? Well, let's carry on reading verse 11, 13, sorry. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Christmas is often known as the season of goodwill, isn't it? And I think that sentiment is based on what these angels said. But this angelic choir is not singing about kind of warm, fuzzy feelings between people. This angelic choir is singing about a permanent end of hostilities between people and God. They say peace to those on whom God's favour rests. It's been a lot of talk about the divisions in our society, in our nation. But let me tell you that the divisions in our nation are nothing compared with the chasm that exists between people and God. You see, the Bible says that we've all rebelled against God's good government of the world. The Bible says that we are at war with God. And it is absolute madness to think we could ever get away with taking up arms against the ruler of the universe. You just can't do that and win. Jesus came to bring a peace deal. That is why he is called Saviour. And that is why this angelic choir of angels, which is actually more literally a platoon of heavenly soldiers, they could have come to destroy us, but instead they said, peace to those on whom God's favour rests. But Jesus didn't win that peace on that first Christmas day. It took 33 years until he won that peace. He was born a king, but he wasn't crowned with a royal crown. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. Jesus wasn't seated on a golden throne, a royal throne. He was nailed to a wooden cross and hung up to die instead. That first Good Friday, Jesus willingly died the rebel's death that we deserve to die, to win lasting peace between us and God. And that peace deal between human beings and God 
is written in Jesus' own blood. See, our earthly leaders might save us for a little while, but Jesus offers to save us for eternity, because three days later, he rose again to be the king who rules forever. And he offers us that, that permanent joy instead of that fleeting happiness. He offers us that perfect peace instead of that ongoing state of conflict with God and ultimately the defeat and destruction we deserve. Let me suggest that it doesn't really matter how you responded to the news of Thursday night or Friday morning, but that it really matters how you respond to the news of Christmas. I think there are essentially two responses and we're going to look at the shepherds who are going to show us both of them. Uh, verse 15. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You see, the shepherds realised that they could not ignore this news. They had to investigate it. And that is the first response I want to suggest to you tonight. To investigate this story of Christmas. If you realise tonight that you can't ignore it, but you need to investigate it, let me suggest that you might like to take this home. We'd love you to take this home. This is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And have a read through it. Or perhaps um, pick up a copy um, of this booklet called The Gift, which is on your chairs. It's a fun and interesting way of explaining the Christmas faith, uh, the Christian faith and the Christmas story. Uh, you can read it for 30 minutes instead of watching... I don't know, the EastEnders Christmas special or something equally depressing. <laughs> or inside your uh, service sheet, there is a little um, piece of paper uh, which invites you to uh, investigate with me or, and with others from church. There are a couple of dates in January when I'd love to meet up for a coffee or a drink and uh, listen to your questions or hear your objections and to investigate things further together. That's the first response investigate. The second response is to inspire others. Look at verse 17. When they had seen the baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. If you're here tonight, and you know in your heart that you already believe these things, can I encourage you to inspire others to think about them too. If you've come along tonight with a friend, why not um, suggest to them that you could read this little booklet together. Or why not ask them if you could tell them why you became convinced that Christmas is the best news you've heard. Christmas is historically certain, undeniably supernatural. It is an announcement of a government that is really worth trusting and that is really worth getting excited about. But most amazing of all, Christmas is good news from God that changes everything. I'll ask as I finish, how are you going to respond to that news this Christmas? I'm going to um, invite Rob to turn the lights down, and um, as Rob's doing that, Linda's going to come to the front and lead us in prayer. Christmas 
and the chance it gives for time with family, friends, good food and fun. And thank you most of all for the chance it gives us to reflect on your biggest gift to us, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you sent him into the world as a baby to grow into a man who would willingly die to save and lead his people to bring them deep joy. We're sorry that we often forget Jesus with everything else that's going on, 